This is the second Sunday of Advent, and the theme for today is hope. Last week, the Advent theme was peace, and this week it is hope, although, as you will see, none of the themes in Advent are really separate from each other, whether in Scripture or in our perspective on the season. But for today, we'll put our focus on hope. And so the leading image for the service today and for the sermon title is the image of the shoot coming out of the stump. In that image, the stump has roots, but it is a remnant of what it was. There may be some life energy still in the roots under the soil, but what is visible appears dead, finished. A stump is all that remains once a tree is cut down. It is the symbol of what was, not the symbol of what will be. A stump speaks of the past, not of the future. It may even be a symbol of despair, the despair of a tree, of a life cut down, a symbol of despair, but certainly not of hope. A stump is dead. A stump is finished. That is, until... Unexpectedly, surprisingly, a small shoot makes an appearance. A green shoot showing itself against the brown of the stump, a symbol of life, of hope, rising up out of the past, out of what seemed to be dead. I have heard plenty of literal stories, as you have as well, of green plant growth, of unexpected new growth, of shoots springing up in surprising places. I remember recounting a story in a sermon within the last year or two of a cherry tomato battle. Do you remember that story? And how the glorious and irresponsible battle between a couple of teenage boys throwing cherry tomatoes everywhere from one side of the street to the other was forgotten until the spring of the next year, when little cherry tomato plants started showing themselves throughout the yard of the person telling the story, and not just in the yard, but in a crevice between two tree branches, and in the cracks between the concrete blocks of the garage wall, and in the flower pot at the corner of the patio and at the edge of the gravel driveway, little new cherry tomato plants seemingly everywhere. Little seeds have a way of putting down roots of their own and then springing up in surprising places. We hear these kinds of stories and we remember them because they delight us, surprising shoots from forgotten seeds. We may even give it a go ourselves, as I did the other day, dumping the rotting pumpkin and other gourd remnants of my son's Halloween carvings behind the shed in the backyard. Maybe something will show up there next year, and maybe it won't. Our own little pumpkin patch, perhaps? If it comes to nothing, nothing lost. But if little gourds show up by the woodpile next year, wouldn't that be kind of cool? But those are stories about seeds, scattered, blessed with optimism and expectancy, released to do their own thing or not, although the chances are pretty good that something will happen. After all, nature often finds a way with seeds. Shoots from the stump 
on the other hand, are something else. Can you cut down the tree and actually expect something to grow up from its base? Isn't the stump usually the end of the story? Maybe not. In fact, theologically, scripturally anyway, it's not the end of the story. As David Holmes, a United Church pastor, commenting on this passage from Isaiah 11 has said, quote, according to Isaiah, the transformation from a culture of fear to a world at peace begins with a stump. Out of something that appears finished, left behind, comes a sign of new life, a green sprig. The green shoot, which in real life we have to wait for a season at least to see if it will show up or not, shows up reliably, at least symbolically, in the scriptural prophecy. It shows up because a shoot from a stump is a symbol of hope, and the prophet brings a message of hope. Or maybe we should put it this way. God gives the prophet a message of hope to pass on to the people, to pass on to us. It may not happen this way in nature, but here in the realm of prophecy, it does happen. And it's the symbol we need before us in order to support us as we, together with the prophet Isaiah, seek to make these important faith-sustaining points. Don't give up for dead what has been cut down. There may still be life. Anticipate, expect, shoots from stumps. That's what it means to hope. Holmes continues, this is how hope gets it started, emerges as a tiny tendril in an unexpected place. He asks, can we examine our, where the stumps are in our lives where we feel cut off? Can we imagine or believe that even now God might be nurturing the growth of something new and good from our old dead dreams? What areas of our lives need most the promise of new life and how might we become open to such newness? Isaiah's promise, he concludes, is not just a future one. Even now there are tiny signs of hope and life in places that look dead and discarded. It sounds good, but I would admit, and I'm sure you would agree, that sometimes hope is hard to see, hard to grasp, especially when we are looking for signs of it in places that look dead and discarded. And this is also true. Sometimes something has to die before something else can be born. And that is perhaps an even more difficult thought. Because it's, it's one thing to say, I'm not feeling very hopeful. I'm looking for signs, but I am not yet seeing them. Versus saying, 
I accept that something has to die in order for something else to come to life. That a dream has to die, a tradition has to die, an outdated set of assumptions or priorities, a familiar way of being and doing has to die so something else can live. And yet sometimes that's the way it is. You might not have new hope until old habits are put to rest, until old prejudices are released, until past hurts and disappointments are yielded. You may not have new shoots growing up until the old tree is cut down. Perhaps you can't have a vision of new hope, access to new hope, until what's dead is dead. And then something new springs to life. What has to die? In the scripture for today, which is addressed to the people of Israel at a particular time in their history, it seems that it is the old-style kings, the old patterns of rule, the old way of leading, and even the old enemies and their power that is dead and finished. Isaiah is saying the old regime and its habits of injustice and inequity must go in order that a righteous king might rise up from the line of David, a righteous king who seeks to rule in a way that supports justice and equity, and therefore who will also usher in the peaceable kingdom. That's the historical, contextual interpretation of the text. But I would say that a broader and perhaps more relevant interpretation for us is that fear has to die so that hope can live. Fear has to die so that hope can live. The old way is the way of fear. And we hope that the new way is the way of justice and peace. So fear of stranger, fear of the enemy has to die so that love of neighbor can live. Fear of not having or controlling enough power, enough resources, fear of not having enough influence, enough superiority, enough self-justification has to die so that peace can live. One of the books I read over my sabbatical time earlier this year was Sally Cohn's book, The Opposite of Hate, A Field Guide to Repairing Humanity. Cohn, who has made a career primarily as a progressive-leaning news commentator, first on Fox News and more recently on CNN, swims in the waters of conflict, political disagreement and argument pretty much all the time. She wanted to know what to do about all the hate that exists in the spaces that she occupies. So she set out to discover how we, humans, with very different ideas, commitments, and opinions, might move the needle away from hateful talk and hateful attitudes towards civility and maybe even respect. She maybe wouldn't put it this way, but I would say that she was looking for some shoot of hope to spring out of the stump of hate. So she went to Rwanda to try to learn and understand what happened there with the genocide in the 1990s. 
And she reached out to try to engage in conversation with the Twitter trolls who constantly attack her as a commentator. And she went to Israel and Palestine and talked to people there who are in conflict. And she talked to reformed white supremacists and former terrorists. And what she discovered is that we all have the stump of hate within us, mostly expressed in our own narrative of righteous victimhood. But... And this is where hope comes into the equation. The tender shoot of life and love shows up. And it shows up through connection. Human connection is the tender shoot of hope. Relationship with the enemy, the person we have hated with or without reason, might move us past blame, past misunderstanding, and even on to forgiveness. Relationship is the antidote to hate. And the opposite of hate is connection. She tells a lot of stories in the book, as you might imagine, but there's a really simple one from Nashville. She tells of Nahed Artulzer, a Palestinian Christian who emigrated from Palestine to the United States when she was six years old and grew up in Nashville. Writes Cohn, Zer got a PhD in religious studies and her academic career included teaching Islam and the Quran to the U.S. Naval War College. This is a Palestinian Christian woman who becomes an expert in Islam. But as she moved through the ranks of tenure-track academia, she felt something was missing. She wanted to have more of an impact forging interfaith understanding among ordinary people, especially in the face of growing anti-Muslim sentiment in the United States. So after running a four-week workshop on understanding Islam in her own Presbyterian congregation, she quit academia. She became the executive director of the Faith and Culture Center, an organization that promotes understanding about Muslims and Islamic faith. And Zaire quickly realized that most non-Muslims in Nashville simply didn't know any Muslims personally, which made it easier for their views to be shaped by negative stereotypes instead of fact. What I've learned, what I've seen, she told Sally Cohn when they talked over the phone, is that paradigms change when you are in the same room with somebody who is not like you and you have a conversation about things which oftentimes doesn't really have anything to do with religion. They have to do with your shared experience as a human being. To help more Muslims and non-Muslims share their experiences, reports Cohn Zier conducted, created a series of dinner programs where people could literally break bread and talk together. It was that simple. But through just meeting one another and talking as human beings, Nahed Zara says people have been completely transformed in their experiences. She recalls a funny moment during a breakfast meeting after she had expanded her program to include Muslim leaders and Christian evangelical pastors. They were talking about the hadiths, she writes, an important collection of stories about the life of Muhammad that shape how Muslims understand their faith. I can't remember how this happened, but then suddenly we're talking about our favorite authors. I don't know how we went from this to that, but suddenly a Christian leader and a Muslim leader at the table were bonding over their shared love of William Faulkner. Now the pastors are expanding the program to include their congregants. Some people of evangelical churches are attending Friday prayers at a Nashville mosque, and they're having meals together. 
creating a wider, systematized practice and culture around connection. Something as simple as eating together and talking about favorite authors. Fear has to die so that hope can live. Fear of the stranger, fear of the enemy has to die so that love of neighbor can live. Fear of not having or controlling enough power, enough resources, fear of not having enough influence, enough superiority, enough self-justification has to die so that peace can live. Relationship is the antidote to hate, and the opposite of hate is connection, and then a shoot, a sprig, a green shoot of hope springs up. The old tree is cut down, and even as the stump remains, something is going to grow. The stump of fear, of hate, remains. But in a new connection, a new relationship, hope springs up. It's right there in the Isaiah text, isn't it? The death of fear the renewing of connection, the hope of a new and renewed life. The wolf and lamb look each other in the eyes. The leopard lays his body beside the goat. The cow and the bear graze together. Those are strange images. But are they any stranger than the hopeful strangeness of the moment when political opponents credit each other with goodwill and integrity? Or the hopeful strangeness of the moment when former enemies of race or nation recognize each other's shared humanity? Or the hopeful strangeness of the moment when a Muslim imam and an evangelical Christian pastor discover together that they are both fans of Faulkner? There's hopeful strangeness everywhere. Fear has to die so that hope can live. Fear of the stranger, fear of the enemy has to die so that the love of neighbor can live. Fear of not having enough power or enough resources, fear of not having enough influence, enough superiority, enough self-justification has to die so that we can come alongside each other so that peace can live. The stump of what was may yet remain once the tree is cut down. But the shoot of what will be is already showing It's green, new life. Thanks be to God. Amen.